1: These fossils are what are really important for telling a lot of the history of Los Angeles.
0: From Alaya Studios, this is How to Alay. I'm Brian De Los Santos. Today, we're getting a little science oh This is the exclusive version because I've never been down here. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even a little Dirty.
1: People think that because there's bubbles coming up, it's hot. But it's not hot. The bubbles are just gases that were trapped down there along with the oil.
0: We're out here in Mid-City hanging out with some 40,000-year-old bison.
1: This is one of many very young animals that we have at this
0: site. Extinct giant sloths. I feel like sloths are having a TikTok moment, too. And the jaws of American lions.
1: Like, they're very big and scary. They eat people sometimes, but...
0: We're at the iconic Lebret Tarpitz Museum and Paleontology oh Research no. Site. Look at
1: this bunny! That is something else we have 50,000 years Oh, really? To.
0: Those yeah. bunnies are around? It's the only active urban fossil dig site in the world.
1: There's all this oil underground. It seeps up wherever it can find a way. There are deposits of natural gases that co-occur with the oil. So if you can look here, you'll see bubbles coming up right there.
0: The tar pits, the bubbling pools of asphalt all over these grounds, are the richest source of Ice Age fossils on the planet.
1: Every time a museum is renovated, or a new apartment building is built, or a subway is dug, you're likely to find fossils in Los Angeles, and if you're digging right next to the La Brea Tar Pits, you're going to find a lot of fossils.
0: Excavators have discovered extinct species going back to more than 30,000 years.
1: Once back in the 30s, an elephant escaped from a circus and ended up getting stuck in one of the tar pits.
0: Like mammoths, horses, and most famously, saber cats.
1: They were probably ambush predators, so they probably would hide in tall grasses or maybe in trees and wait for something to go by, like a, a horse or a camel, and then leap out, use their very powerful forearms to kind of pin the animal down and then use their teeth to probably slice through a vein and bleed it out.
0: In my opinion, the tar pits are a staple Los Angeles experience.
1: All of that information is based on research here because we have this incredible collection of more than 2,000 saber-toothed cats here.
0: If you're from here, you've probably been on a field trip or two as a kid. But you gotta check it out as a full-grown adult. Because it's not just a cool, unique place to geek out on fossils and uncover the past. It's also one of the world's most important research sites for understanding the future of the natural world, including how different species will respond to climate change.
1: A lot of the excavation work that we're doing today is actually on projects that were discovered in the course of the sort of construction that just goes on in a major city. And that's really allowing us to kind of fill out this 60,000-year narrative of what life was like here in the Los Angeles Basin.
0: That's Emily Lindsay.
1: I'm the Associate Curator and Excavation Site Director at La Brea Tar Pits, and we're sitting in my office here at the La Brea Tar Pits Museum in Hancock Park in Mid-City, L.A.
0: Emily is a paleoecologist, meaning she's at the intersection of ecology and paleontology.
1: For a long time, ecologists and paleontologists didn't really talk to each other that much. Paleontologists have always sort of recognized that the data we have could potentially be very useful for a lot of the questions that conservation biologists and ecologists have today. So, like, what are the big questions right now under global change in conservation biology, right? It's like, how are different species going to respond to climate change? What traits make species more vulnerable or more resilient in the face of different types of environmental changes? Are there sort of inherent ecological tipping points? And how do you know when you're getting close to one? All of these questions are things that cannot really fully be answered without the deeper time perspective that paleontology provides. But it's just taken a long time to get these sort of groups of scientists to talk to each other. And so now every conservation, biology, and ecology conference that I've seen in recent years has always had a session on paleobiology, but that wasn't a thing even 10 years ago.
0: Why don't we just start off with a high-level overview of the historical significance of this place in the world of paleontology. What were the first findings that happened here?
1: So this site was discovered a long time ago because it is a fossil site that happens to be in the middle of a major city. Of course, at the time it was discovered, it wasn't a major city, but it was a city. And this was ranch land here. And the family that owned the ranch had been actually mining some of the asphalt deposits and sending them up to San Francisco where the asphalt was used to pave the cobblestone streets and tar the roofs of houses but the story is that a ranch hand actually found the first identified fossil on the property and he thought maybe it was a cow bone but it looked kind of weird and he brought it to the landowner and then a geologist from Boston happened to be traveling through, and the landowner showed the fossil to the geologist, and he identified it actually as the incisor, the tooth of a saber-toothed cat, the canine of a saber-toothed cat. So that was when it was really recognized that you know there were potentially significant fossil finds here. That was in the late 1800s. In the early 1900s were when the first excavations took place. A teacher at L.A. High School named Jay Z Gilbert also used to bring high school students out here to excavate. The Southern California Academy of Sciences led excavations. And then in 1913, the Los Angeles Museum of History, Art, and Science was founded. And that's what later turned into the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. And between 1913 and 1915, That institution led a series of excavations of the site. They excavated more than 100 individual asphaltic deposits or tar pits. It said they collected over a million specimens during that three-year period, and that's formed part of the founding collection of the Natural History Museum. An excavation at our site is where we are digging in the ground. Back 100 years ago, really what people were looking for was just the big fossils of the extinct animals from the ice age. They wanted to make cool big mounts of the skeletons and put them in the museum. They wanted to study these ancient animals. So they were really just like digging through the ground with pickaxes and shovels and pulling out the big specimens and leaving everything else behind. Today, excavation here is much more tedious and time consuming and precise, but it's because we've discovered that this site doesn't just preserve the remains of these big ice age animals like mammoths and saber tooth cats and giant ground sloths, but it also preserves most of the rest of the ecosystem as well. We have oak leaves and acorn caps and juniper berries. We have pine cones. We have lizards and songbirds and rodents that get preserved here as well. We even have insects. The fact that we have, you know, big animals like dire wolves here. I mean, you find dire wolves in the Yukon all the way down to like Bolivia. So the fact that they were here doesn't tell you a lot about what the LA basin was like. But the fact that we have particular species of plants or insects or birds or rodents can tell us a lot about how hot or cold it was, how wet or dry it was, and how that environment changed through time. And these are all stories that are really interesting, not just to paleontologists, but to a lot of people working in the conservation biology space today, because we're going through this new intense period of environmental change. And so a lot of scientists are trying to look at how different plants and animals responded to, say, previous episodes of global climate warming, like when we were coming out of the last ice age, to try to predict how species are going to respond today.
0: Can you just comment on how Southern California is so rich in biodiversity that it lends to things like the tar pits and studying things here.
1: The Los Angeles basin is actually a biodiversity hotspot. I think people don't necessarily think of it that way, especially people who aren't from here. They think of L.A. as like this very new city that didn't really exist before cars and it's just completely under cement. But we're actually have this remarkable climate and sort of set of ecosystems here that can support a really wide diversity of wildlife. And that was also true in the past. That was true during the Ice Age. That's why we have more than 600 species of plants and animals that we've been able to identify from the La Brea tarpets.
0: Okay, so let's back up a bit. What are tarpets?
1: So about 1,000 feet under where we're sitting, there's a oil reserve. It's called the Salt Lake Oil Field. Los Angeles Basin has a ton of oil. You can still see active oil pumpers in the area today, just driving around. It's the richest oil basin by unit volume in the world. So we have more oil here in L.A. per cubic meter than Saudi Arabia or Texas or any of these other places. And the other thing we have a lot of in Southern California is earthquakes. And that means that there are places where little cracks and fissures... Open in the ground, and that those underground oil reserves in some places actually seep up to the surface and they form these shallow pools. And as the lighter components of that oil, like gasoline and kerosene, evaporate, what gets left behind is the densest form of crude oil, which is asphalt, or colloquially we call it tar. These asphalt pools are really quite shallow, they're not like deep pools of quicksand, but they're very, very sticky. And so when a plant blows in or an animal steps in there, even something as big as a Colombian mammoth, it can end up trapped there forever. The other thing the asphalt does is it's really good at preserving a wide range of biotic tissues. So we get phenomenal preservation, not just of bones, but uh, leaves and wood Insects, shells, and that's what's allowed us to build up over time the richest record of Ice Age life anywhere on Earth. What we're most known for, of course, are the large mammals that went extinct at the end of the last Ice Age. So, saber-toothed cats, California's state fossil, it was named that because so many saber-toothed cats were found here at the La Brea Tar tarpets. Dire wolves is our most common animal. They're not just a figment of imagination in Game of Thrones. They were real animals, although not as big as they are in the TV show. Something that's really interesting, and that this is a great place to research, is why did some things go extinct and some things stuck around? And we have that whole record here, and that's really rare. You don't usually get that in paleontology. You usually have only bones or only plants, or you have only big things or only small things. And there's really almost nowhere else on Earth that is a site like ours.
0: We'll be back for a tour of this urban research site after the break.
1: Support for LAS comes from Latino Theater Company at the Los Angeles Theater Center, presenting the world premiere of Ghost Waltz by Oliver Mayer, a bold original recovery of Juventino Rosas, one of Mexico's most significant composers. Follow Rosas from his father's early death to his friendship with ragtime genius Scott Joplin, now on stage through June 2nd. Tickets and information at latinotheaterco.org. This is pit 6167, so this is a deposit that was excavated in 1915.
0: Hey there, you're listening to How to LA. I'm Brian De Los Santos. We're back at the La Brea Tar Pits Museum. Now we're headed on a tour of this giant site to learn about how they extract, clean, and study these fossils that help all of us better understand our world.
1: But this site is really interesting. We recently discovered that it is one of the most consequential fossil sites anywhere on Earth. The La Brea in general is, is widely known as one of the most important fossil sites, but this in particular is probably our most important deposit because what we discovered is that this particular seep was active and trapping animals when the big Ice Age extinction event occurred. And we found that out because the preservation of these fossils is so good that we actually, they haven't become fossilized. So the minerals in the bones and and wood and such haven't been replaced by minerals of rock. They're still the original tissue. So we still have collagen in the bones and that means that we can get precise radiocarbon dates off of almost all of our fossils. That's, you know, just one example of how kind of unique and powerful the site is for the scientific community is that it lets us do research that can't really be done anywhere else on Earth.
0: I'm just thinking about the, the new like apartment buildings that come in, new office spaces that have come in and people are not using it anymore. But the fact that we have such an important site here in our own city, I don't know, like do you have any like feelings as a researcher, as a you know paleontologist of like LA should slow down on certain things?
1: <laughs> well, we are lucky in that California actually has the strongest laws for protection of fossils and artifacts anywhere in the country. And so when a construction project, like the ones we see around here, is done, there is a mandate by the state to make sure that that history is protected and preserved in the public trust. That being said, you can learn a lot more from a fossil that's in the ground in its original context than one that's been sort of taken out of context for expediency of creating a new a new building. And, and, and that is one of the challenges of working at a site in the city. There's a lot of advantages. Most fossil sites, they're often very remote. You have to bring on all your stuff. People usually go out there for maybe a month at a time, and then they go back, and then they go back the next year for a month at a time. We excavate pretty much every day of the year, and our fossil excavators can go home and take a shower at night and like go out for a nice dinner. So, there, and, and that's part of why we've been able to build up a collection of millions of fossils that nobody else has. And there's also the advantage that we get to share it with lots and lots of people. So there's real opportunities here, but one of the big challenges is that because it's the middle of a big city, there's a lot of competing needs. There's competing needs in terms of development. There's competing needs in terms of the use of the park. You know, how much of the park can we fence off and, and do science in versus people need space to be with their families and have picnics and walk their dogs and go to boot camp classes, right? So there is this tension that we're always having to navigate of being the world's only like active urban Ice Age fossil site.
0: Okay, now we're walking through the grounds outside here where excavators are working away in these fossil
2: dig sites,
0: preparing the fossils for research.
2: So I'm Sean Campbell, and I'm a senior fossil preparator. So I prepare fossils for research and collections. So this is box two, when the art museum next door, LACMA, built an underground parking structure. The structure's grade went down roughly 25 feet, and they found 16 massive fossil deposits during that time. and. 13 of the deposits were put into these large crates, and we've measured over 1,000 fossils of many different types of organisms from roughly 34 to 51,000 years ago. So it's very plant heavy. We have tons of species of birds, mostly hawks and eagles, but we found things like woodpeckers as well. I'm excavating, so I'm using chemicals a purple bromide to the deposit in different areas. Tar is really crude oil or asphalt, and the asphalt is completely mixed in with the sediments as well as all the fossilized remains. And we have to tease all of that apart. And to do that more gently and safely, we use a liquid chemical that breaks down the tar as we excavate. So I use dental tools, I use manicure tools, and I expose the fossils as best as I can. And if anything is broken, I'll use a glue adhesive Essentially, it creates like a plastic layer in and outside of the fossilized remains that hardens it so that it's keeps it all together.
1: So we're going into the fossil lab here. So when the rest of our team dig up fossils out at the excavation site, the next step is all those fossils come in here. This is what we call our fishbowl lab. It's visible to the museum visitors, and it's a real great opportunity to showcase the process of science that happens here.
0: So we're on the inside of the lab, which is like a giant glass dome. But if you come visit the museum, you'll be able to observe the fossils being cleaned and processed by scientists, and you can check them out from the outside view.
1: When the fossils come to us from the excavation site, they still have a lot of sediment on them. They may be broken. They may be very fragile. And so what the team here is doing is preparing the bones and making sure that those bones, those fossils, are going to be in good shape for the next 100 years to come. The value of this site, the key value, is that we have so many fossils from so many species it really allows us to do research that can often only be done with modern ecosystems but we can do it looking into the past and so it's really important the care that is taken with each of our fossils to um, make them strong uh, resilient and as complete as possible, so that we're able to get as much information as possible from them. I think probably the most important opportunity at this site is really to showcase the full scope of the scientific process like beginning to end because there's almost nowhere else in the world very few places where you can go and you can see the entire trajectory of a scientific process all in one step so you can see the discovery out at the field site you can see the sort of preparation and research that goes into it here in the lab, and then you can walk around the hall of the museum and see the exhibits that showcase what we've learned by studying all these fossils. And it is a real unique opportunity to sort of teach people about how science is done, paleontology in this case, but sort of the scientific process in general, how it's based on vast quantities of evidence and looking at evidence in ways that kind of bring together different ideas, but also how the people who do the science are no different from the people that are watching us do the science. And it's really very similar to the type of fact-based decision-making that people do in their everyday lives, and that's why it's trustable. I get amazing letters from, like, nine-year-old girls around the country that are fascinated with fossils, and I think a really cool thing here is sort of the diversity of people we have represented. And again, you can see the scientists working and you can see yourself reflected, no matter who you are, I think, in members of our team. This happens to be a very like female-led site here, so we've had a lot of Girl Scout troops or, or sort of women in science type of focus here and so that's neat because I think a lot of people are still growing up with this image of like scientists being like older white men in lab coats right and and this is an opportunity where you can really see it's not it's not television it's, it's real life like here are the real life scientists and they look just like you.
0: Alrighty folks, that's all we've got for you today. That was Emily Lindsay, Associate Curator and Excavation Site Director at La Brea Tar and Museum. I hope all y'all are excited to check out the museum or go back to an adult for those of you who haven't gone since you were tiny, just like me. This episode was produced by Megan Botel. Our other team members are Erica Washington, Evan Jacoby, Victoria Alejandro, Monica Bushman, and our intern, Tony Morales. If you love this episode, send me a note. JaroLA at scpr.org. I want to hear from you and, you know, what you learn. I'll catch you next time. Hasta luego. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live.